You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Today's conversation is about mindfulness, the spiritual practice of being in the present moment, with perspectives from Buddhism, Taoism, Zen, martial arts, and everyday life. There may even be a poem or two. <laughs> Carlos. Satch. Yeah, on uh, this episode, um, how do you feel about talking about the present moment? Hmm. What a gift it is. It really is. It really is. Pun intended, right? Absolutely. It's yeah. the present that you unwrap right here in this very moment. That's right. So uh, mindfulness and mindfulness meditation, mindfulness training, this is something that has been around for ages. But in today's modern world, there is actually a lot of research and things on this now. This is a growing trend. You start to hear about mindfulness a lot more now. It's a hot topic for sure. Yeah, it is. And it's such an ancient topic. <laughs> yeah. It's an ancient hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to a hot pocket. Right. That's, that's right. totally different. Exactly. Um, but they're both delicious. They and, are. You know, the present moment is something that has been very transformative to me. This yeah. is something I've been very interested in many, many years. Um, I remember spending hours sitting on the couch and on purpose, I would shut the TV off and just sit in the present moment and be happy. And my wife would come home, Tanya would come home and she'd see me and she'd go, oh, look at you, just happy, just sitting there on the couch doing nothing. I said, yep, I'm just practicing mindfulness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and it is very much a practice. Yeah. Um, happiness, you know, it, it's a choice and mindfulness seems to be really linked to happiness could you tell me a little bit about why that's the case for you? Sure. I've noticed in all of my present moment practice that strong emotions force you into the present moment. Why is that? Well, I think it's a product of evolution. If uh, a big scary lion jumps out at you and you're terrified, you are very present. You are presently attending in that moment because you have to be mindful of the reality of your surroundings, of what's occurring. You have to respond to that. You have to look for opportunities. And I think that from an evolutionary perspective, strong emotions, whether whether they're emotions that we associate as being negative or positive, both ground us in the present moment. For example, uh, anybody out there who's ever been in love and you're in the, the beginnings of love, and when you're with that other person, are you not totally in the present moment with them? Hmm. It's the, the most powerful experiences, the peak experiences in our lives. Usually, if you look back on them, and we ask the question, was I in the present moment during that time? The answer is almost always yes. Right. I've noticed that. Um, the first time you hold your child, you are totally in the present moment. Great example. Yeah. Any big failure that a person can remember, you presently felt that failure when it happened. Um, when a parent passes away, that is an opportunity to be grounded in the present moment, to feel all those emotions that come up inside of you at that moment. And so I think it's too bad that it's only those peak experiences and those strong emotionally charged events that cause us to stay in the present moment because the reality is we can do it all the time and then we can make every second a peak experience if we're willing to give that a try wow great point great points actually uh one in particular uh, when you talked about the loss of a parent or a loss to, uh, the loss of a loved one um to see that as a, an opportunity to be present and to practice mindfulness and i think there's an opportunity to turn it around to some degree. It doesn't mean you have to feel happy that your parent has died, of course. Yeah. But it's an opportunity to deepen your experience of how much they meant to you and how present you can be for the people that are still in your life, you know, your your loved ones that are still alive. And 
Um, I think that's important because we need to know what to do. And sometimes the very first thing to do is to stop doing, to, yeah. un- to undo yourself. Your mind will often jump into the future and it'll start to imagine what's going to be. And sometimes it's um, imagining good things. It's daydreaming, and pipe dreams or what have you. But also uh, it can be a source of anxiety if you're thinking about things that are about to happen or that you think might happen or you're imagining, you know, you're using that prefrontal cortex to imagine something that's going to happen in the yeah. future. Um, and if you're wallowing or ruminating over mistakes of your past or negative events that used to happen to you, um, or trauma that took place, that's not being present either. There are times when you need to think about the past times when you need to think about the future. If that's where you live most of the time, you're usually not going to be a very happy, productive, fully actualized human being. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're going to talk about some strategies here in a little while. Mm. Um, some techniques that that people can use to get grounded in the present moment. I think before we get to those, though, uh, for all of our wonderful open-minded skeptics out there, uh, this is a topic that has been researched. There's been a lot of research on this, actually, and, and there are some fascinating, um, fascinating things that are out there. And I'm going to share one uh, that comes to mind right now. There was a study done where they were trying to look at the effect of mindfulness practice associated with pain and the experience of pain with patients that get dressing changes. So like when you have like wounds, uh, burn, I think it was burns. It might've been burns in the study. It can be very painful to do all the dressing changes for the burns. So they did, um, one group of patients that were taught to practice some sort of mindfulness in the present moment while they were getting their dressing changes. And then they had another group that was using a distraction method, like listening to music or, you know, watching a, a show of some sort. And they found that it was more effective to decrease the pain sensation to stay grounded in the present moment than it was to be distracted from your pain. And that was very powerful. That that Mm -hmm. was a very interesting, interesting thing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of other research. One of the interesting things um, about this mindfulness research is it's also been shown to cause thickening of brain matter. It's like the, the cortex, cerebral cortex gets thicker in people that practice mindfulness meditation. Now, why is that good? Because, you know, from a non-medical standpoint, that sounds sure. bad. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're getting something thicker. Th- something's up, up thickening. There. Maybe I don't want to yeah. do that. I don't want to get right, too right. thick up there. That's a great, uh, <laughs> great point. So, so the cerebral cortex, that's your brain matter. That's the part of your brain. When you look at a brain, it looks all folded. It looks like, you know, n- you know, noodles, like uh, fettuccine noodles all squished together. <laughs> Those folds, thanks. I'm never going to have fettuccine again. <laughs> thanks, Satch. I intended to ruin it for you. <laughs> um, those foldings of that brain matter are basically it's 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 like a space saving technique that the brain uses, right? So, when a brain is smooth, that means there's not as much actual brain matter there, and you want brain, right? Like you know, you want a big brain, don't you? You know, I mean, we all want. I want a big brain. Um, so we want so more wrinkles. We want more wrinkles on our brain. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So when a person has a more wrinkly, thick cerebral cortex, they have more brain matter to think with. So, you know, you have a, a bigger, more powerful engine to use, to, to, to think and to problem solve. Um, th- one interesting thing, there's, there's a, a, a lobe in the brain called the insula, and it's one that's not known by most of the people that take like high school, you know, anatomy or something. It's, it's a, a lesser known lobe of the brain because um, it's sort of hidden. It's a little bit deeper. And uh, the insula was found not too long ago to have a switching mechanism in it that is involved with causing a person to switch between like daydreaming and reality. Daydreaming and reality. Daydreaming and reality. What they found is that people who have schizophrenia have a faulty switching mechanism in the insula. And it's difficult for them to switch between daydreaming and reality. And it's hard for them to tell when reality 
starts and when their dream world begins and this gets blurred. It's interesting that mindfulness meditation causes increased folding and thickness of the insula. Hmm. And they found that schizophrenics that, um, you know, when you look at their insulary lobe, it tends to be smoother than the general population. So wouldn't it be fascinating to, maybe somebody's done this. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't researched this one, but maybe somebody looked at this. I, I would like to see if, if a mindfulness practice could, um, help with schizophrenia. Um, one thing that I know for sure is that in, in the occupational therapy field years ago, way back in the very beginning of the profession, um, it started off working with the mentally ill population. What they found is that in people who have hallucinations, when they engage their hands, their body in some sort of craft activity, some sort of physical project, you know, whether it's, you know, the old idea of basket weaving, right? Hmm. There's a lot of truth to this. So this, this is helpful for these people because when they engage in an activity like that, they tend to have a reduction in their hallucinations. I think the reason is because when you're doing a craft, especially something that you're motivated to do or a novel activity, that it grounds you in the present moment. And when you are grounded in the present moment, when you have something anchoring you to the present moment, like making pottery or painting a picture, um, it's easier to stay in the present moment. Using crafts is actually a presently attending activity. And the more you practice doing crafts and, and meaningful and purposeful activities in your life, the more you're practicing mindfulness and perhaps growing thickness in the cerebral cortex and developing the ability to stay more presently attending and to decrease the symptoms. That's great. I mean, in this day and age, there's so much uh, in the way of multitasking, I think that is required. I see job descriptions that talk about, you know, ability to multitask, a must and things like that. And what I've seen recently are uh, examples of studies that they did that, that are showing that the more you do that, the more at risk your mind is, that, that it, it damages you over the long haul, that mm. it, it um, contributes to cognitive deficits the older you get. The longer you've been doing sort of really intense multitasking over a long period of time, the more likely you're going to have one of those cognitive deficits show up for you later in life. So for a long time, we've known that there's no such thing as real, genuine multitasking. Right. If you really right. only concentrate at one thing at a time, it does seem like you're multitasking, Yeah. but really just sort of switching really quick between tasks. And some of the people that I've known who multitask the most typically tell me they're really great at it. And they're some of the most spacey people that I know that they, they make more mistakes and have developed kind of a coping mechanism around that such that they delete those mistakes. Like they don't, they don't recognize that they're making those mistakes and they distort reality to support the idea that they're really good at it. Yeah. Very they're interesting. They're really not yeah. so good at it. Yeah, they're not. They're not. It's funny. And, and, you know, research like this, that, that shows that mindfulness practice makes your brain bigger. Mm -hmm. Right. Imagine the implications for things like Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, it's, it's plausible that it could slow those kinds of things, you know, and then you have more thinking power when you're older, you're supposed to be losing your memory and maybe you get a little more, squeeze a little more life out of yourself, you know, yeah. with mindfulness, you know, why, why do you suppose there's, there's been such a resurgence of interest in this? I mean, it seems like, um, they've been researching this even since before you and I were both born. But there are more and more studies, and they're looking at all different kinds of meditation. And it seems like in the last 10 years, it's all about mindfulness meditation. But they've yeah. been studying you know, traditional uh, yogic meditation and, you know, on various levels and, and looking for medical benefits in that and, and discovered so many things. But the mindfulness practice seems to be really big right now. Yeah. I think one reason to explain that is that because some research was done and then it showed that it worked, then that sparks new questions. And then therefore people are going to try to answer those questions about that same topic. And then other people are going to start to answer questions about that topic. And it sort of creates a chain reaction.
you and I grew up studying martial arts along with the uh, Indian philosophies and things like that. Um, but one of the fond memories I have of practicing martial arts was at the times when our teacher would uh, have sort of an internal focus and we would go to the altar and he would pull out the Yi Jing, the Tao Te Ching, Zhuangzi, the yeah. writings of Zhuangzi, um, various translations of Chinese philosophers. And there'd be this smell of incense in the air and... Um, it always seemed like something magical was about to happen. Like oh, he was, yeah. You know, you're going to discover some truths about the universe here. Right. You could feel it in the air. Yeah. And I just remember him pulling out these worn, tattered books uh, out from the, the altar and then, you know, reading through it. One of my favorite Zen poems, I find it a little bit humorous. Um, and I think it really captures the present moment, even when you're having a tough day. And it goes like this. When worn out and seeking an inn, wisteria flowers. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I, I just, I hear this poem and I think of some guy. Can I hear that just, again? Sure, Sorry. Sure, let's, that's let's, awesome. Let's do this again. I want to hear that again. When worn out and seeking an inn, wisteria flowers. <laughs> that is right. so awesome. I, I can so relate to this. It's like you're having this tough day. All you want to do is find a place to go to sleep, right? And that is your present moment. But when you're grounded in mindfulness, you don't miss the wisteria flowers. <laughs> That's true. It, you know, it reminds me of squirrel. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. You're in the middle of something and suddenly something captures you and you just let yourself be captured by it. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, th th there's another another poem. Um, this is a, a Taoist poem by um, Li Po or Li Bai. It's his name uh, from the eighth century. It's called "Sitting Alone on Jing Ting Shan." Now, Shan means mountain or a hill. A flock of birds is flying high in the distance. A lonely cloud drifts idly on its own. We gaze at each other, neither growing tired. There was only Jingting Mountain. One of the beautiful things about this poem is that it follows the Taoist concept of writing a poem that is one about nature and two is always written in the present tense. And that is what makes Taoist poetry a practice of mindfulness. It helps you tune in to what's happening in the present moment. So I picture this poet just recognizing what happened in a particular moment when he's sitting on this mountain and he sees these birds and he sees these clouds and it brought an appreciation, an authentic experience to an ordinary moment. I'm still there on Jing Ting Shan. Yes. <laughs> I am. That was so beautiful. Nice. I didn't want to even open my eyes yeah. when I heard it. Yeah. Mm. I guess it's easy to hear what you want to hear in life, right? You know, what you focus yeah. on and where you're at. Um, I think you could hear poems and just think of them as a collection of words and be bored to death. Yeah. On the other hand, if you allow the images to form, you could just experience it. Yeah. Sure. Just experience it. it. Doesn't have to be judged. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a lot about being mindful. I, I find is is uh, stepping outside of judgment. There's a place for judgment. Oh yeah. But when you're being mindful, that's not the place for it. You won't lose your ability to judge. In fact, your ability to judge will be renewed, refreshed, and cleansed in many respects if you just take a break from judgment for a little while. Yeah, and it'll make your brain bigger anyway, and you'll feel happier. Knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. If you realize that you have enough, you are truly rich. 
If you stay in the center and embrace death with your whole heart, you will endure forever. The great Tao flows everywhere. All things are born from it, yet it doesn't create them. It pours itself into its work, and yet it makes no claim. It nourishes infinite worlds, yet it doesn't hold on to them. Since it is merged with all things and hidden in their hearts, it can be called humble. Since all things vanish into it and it alone endures, it can be called great. It isn't aware of its greatness, thus it is truly great. Hmm, that was the Tao Te Ching. What I love about passages like that, especially in the Tao Te Ching, is it would take a tremendous amount of paying attention to be able to notice those kinds of truths. To sit there and just be present, to be mindful, it's the only way that we can really let nature talk to us and teach us. I think these Tao Te Ching poems are examples of how much you can learn if you just pay attention and look around you. The moment we get back into nature, we begin to see a reflection of a set of principles that existed before we were even born, before humanity existed. And it's evolved with us to some degree. But that's why the Taoists were so concerned with it and why the mindful person has a tendency to seek that simplicity to look for those clues in nature. And the Tao Te Ching talks a lot about that. It, it mm. mentions society. It mentions politics, war, it does. the machinery yeah. of life. But it emphasizes that that is not where you're going to find all of your answers. The answers will be by going deep in your heart, by going deep into your experience and looking at nature. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of an experience that I had, and I've, I've shared this with you before, and I, I may even have shared this on another one of our episodes. When I was learning Vipassana meditation, uh, 10 days of very intense meditation, uh, and I was out in the mountains. One day I was going for a walk and I stopped on this trail and I just shut my eyes and I just became very aware of my body I was all by myself. Nobody was around. And when you're learning Vipassana meditation, as you know, Carlos, because you've, you've studied Vipassana, uh, you're spending a lot of time observing the sensations that arise on your body. Mm -hmm. Twinges and tickles and itches and sweat dripping down and little spasms. And you just, you observe them with mindfulness, but without judgment. And when I stopped out on this trail, I shut my eyes and I just sort of just let my, my limbs hang there as I, as I stood. And I was noticing tingles and twitches and little, little body sensations. And then I became aware of the sounds of nature around me. A bird chirped. I remember hearing something maybe like a little lizard scurrying in the, in the leaves. And it became hilarious to me because I realized in that moment that all the little chirps and sounds that were occurring in nature around me are just like all little sensations and chirps and things that are happening on my body and my nervous system right. and I laughed because I realized they're right the inside and the outside are the same it was a heck of a moment you had a microcosmic macrocosmic realization yeah my microcosm saw the macrocosm the macrocosm reminded me of my microcosm and we all laughed at it <laughs> You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation about mindfulness. You're reminding me of this really great card that I saw uh, when I was a young, young man, uh, and it had a 
an illustration of a wizened old Chinese master holding in one hand a flower and in the other a rock. And there were these little scintillations of like the representation of a frequency or a vibration coming off of both of them. Okay. And he was smiling, sitting still, and the caption read, Sage, listening to the conversation between a rock and a flower. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> That's great. I love you know, that. It's it's deep and funny and simple and yeah. cute all at once. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. I love that card. I kept it um, in my bathroom for a long time. Yeah. Uh, just up on the wall. Oh, it was I love just a great it. reminder of being still and listening. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I was going to share some lyrics from a song. The great uh, songwriter Joni Mitchell wrote a beautiful oh, yeah. song yeah. Yeah, called Chelsea Morning. Mm. And I've always loved this song. And I don't know this for a fact, but I sort of suspect that she was practicing a little bit of Taoist uh, or Zen poetry when she wrote this song. And I'm going to read just a little, a little section from that song because this is an example of how everybody can practice mindfulness. And when you stop and you just, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, just sort of look around and say, what do I notice happening that I didn't notice before? And I think we can see Joni Mitchell sharing one of those moments when she noticed something special. So this is from Chelsea Morning. Woke up, it was a Chelsea morning. And the first thing that I knew, there was milk and toast and honey and a bowl of oranges too. And the sun poured in like butterscotch and stuck to all my senses. Hmm. Oh, won't you stay? We'll put on the day and we'll talk in present tenses. <sighs> That's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's just one of those things like, like how often have we seen a sunbeam come through the window and hit the table and thought that it looked like butterscotch? Yeah. That happens when you're mindful of the present moment, you know, um, that is a very powerful technique to ground oneself in the present moment is to just sit there and say, what is happening right now? You know, right behind you, Carlos is uh, a bookshelf. This is a bookshelf that can be seen in some of the pictures on our Facebook page. <laughs> We're sitting in front of this bookshelf quite often. And I see the bookshelf behind you right now. And if I was going to become grounded in the present moment and maybe just make up a poem on the spot, you know, I don't expect this to be good, but this is just my um, noticing of the present moment. I might just say, the books stand straight and still in spite of the action written on their pages. A beam of light reflects off Carlos's eye. <laughs> That's what I noticed, you know? It's fun to try it. Yeah. Wanna try? Wanna yeah, try? I do, I do, I do. Rolling sensations down the legs and arms. A breath, at first tense, then released. And all other thoughts rolling, rolling, rolling. Mm, very nice. I just learned about your experience right now. <laughs> ah, very good. Um, it's fun to do this. You know, it my is. wife and I used to do this. We used to drive in the car, we'd sit down someplace, and one of us would just start making up a, a Taoist poem on the spot. And we used to practice this all the time. You know, and it reminds me once... Uh, of the wonderful TV show that we always come back to whenever we record one of these sessions, the TV show Kung Fu. <laughs> and there was an episode where there was somebody who was in terrible pain. He was in agony. And Kwai Chang Kane, the, uh, the um, Shaolin monk, sits with this person. And he actually... Go, and I, I, I forget the details of the episode, what, what Cain shared with him, but he actually caused this person who was in pain to start noticing the things that were around him, trees and the ground and various insects or animals. 
And by grounding that guy in the present moment, he was able to take a little bit more control over his situation and handle his pain better. His pain didn't go away. But his response to that pain changed. And that was a powerful, powerful lesson for me when I saw that happen. Because I realized if you're having pain, you could at any minute just pay attention to what's happening around you. There's this idea in Taoism that, that's revisited a lot in the poetry, this idea of um, wu-wei, non-action. Wu-wei, yes. Yeah. And this idea that you can reach a state of presence, which allows you to get things done without having to micromanage with your conscious mind. Now, in this translation, they don't say the word wu-wei. They just say uh, non-action, or they'll say uh, doing without doing. Okay. It's a way of uh, referring to things with their opposite so that you kind of grasp that what we're talking about is somewhere between the words. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. The Tao never does anything, yet through it all things are done. If powerful men and women could center themselves in it, the whole world would be transformed. By itself, in its natural rhythms, people would be content with their simple everyday lives, in harmony and free of desire. When there is no desire, all things are at peace. Mm. Oh, and I love peace. I do too. Uh, this idea that we have to be filled with desires all the time. I think that we have to be careful not to get sucked into the idea that life is all about cravings. You know, that, yeah, you know, totally. you, you, you hear all yeah. the time that, you know, you've got to have a better car, a better house, a, you know, a hotter girlfriend or a hotter boyfriend or yeah. uh, more money or, you know, it's just race, race, race. And people lose track of who they are sometimes. Yeah. I'm not saying that abundance shouldn't flow freely in your life, but it shouldn't right. be coming from a compulsion because if that's the case, then you're trapped by it. And every time you don't succeed at it, uh, you feel unhappy, you feel miserable. So the freedom is not in not caring per se, but in being uh, able to not become overly attached to the desires that we have. Yeah. Not be driven by desire. Right, right. And, and you know, I, I think just exactly what you're saying right now, um, in order to do that, in order to do that very thing, you do need to have your mind more established in the present mm -hmm. because when we start to strive and strain for more desires, it's usually because our mind is in the future. Um, what one very useful and simple technique for staying in the present moment and avoiding this very thing that we're discussing here, mm -hmm. you know, about, about, about craving and, and wanting to have too much, right? is just to follow this very simple practice. Um, we I earlier mentioned uh, the author Dan Millman. He had a great book called No Ordinary Moments, and it's kind of more of a workbook. And there's something in there about mindfulness that I recall him sharing. I, I read this years and years ago, um, and it's always stuck with me. And this is a technique that I use all the time. And this is, this is something anybody can use anytime. And to stay grounded in the present, you just ask yourself a few questions. And the questions are this, where am I? Well, I'm, I'm right here. What time is it? Uh, it's right now. What am I doing? You know, and then you sort of recognize whatever it is you're doing. And then you ask yourself, am I doing it gracefully? <laughs> Real simple. You it's know, great. you know, where am I? I'm right here. What time is it? It's right now. What am I doing this? And am I doing it gracefully? You know, it's just such a simple, easy thing to do. You know, you could be sitting on the toilet. You say, where am I? Because, you know, your mind wanders. Where am I? Right here on the toilet. What am I doing? Reaching for toilet paper. <laughs> what time is it right now? Yeah, am I reaching for toilet paper gracefully? <laughs> you know, you can reach for toilet paper gracefully. Yes, you can. You, know, um, <laughs> you can wipe your rear gracefully.
Human beings get caught up in the drama of emotion, I think, quite often. Uh, there's a term that floats around these days uh, when people are talking about emotional intelligence, yes. and it's the term amygdala hijack. Yes. <laughs> amygdala um, hijack. I love it. The lizard brain. The lizard brain. You know, amygdala is a, a, a part of your brain, and it's very involved when you feel uh, moments of extreme fear or anger. And it's very involved with the fight, flight, or freeze reflex. Mm. And one of the primary methods of getting in control of that reaction is mindfulness. You have, yeah. to, you have to be able to observe that you're doing it. So, so let's say that uh, you know, you, your boss is breathing down your neck and you're panicking. You know, and a part of you wants to freeze or recoil. And you're not able to respond well because as you try to respond, you just feel frozen. That's an example of an amygdala hijack. And when your boss walks away, you kind of snap out of it and you go, oh my gosh, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I say that? Or why was I behaving that way? Um, that's just an example of an amygdala hijack. But the same thing could be when you get really angry. And the anger has a momentum that takes control and, and kind of uh, seizes your mind and, and you say things you shouldn't have said. You do things you shouldn't have done. And then after it wears off, you look back at what you just did and you think, oh my God, dear Lord, how am I going to repair the damage I just did? That's another example of an amygdala hijack. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that um, the experts all agree is very helpful, and I've used this myself, and I teach this, is to just start breathing deeply and smoothly. So you change the rhythm going on in your physiology, and you make an observation. You say to yourself, oh, there I am doing this thing, getting scared, being frozen, getting angry. Oh, that's beautiful. Or better yet, using the third person reference. So, oh, there's Carlos again doing that thing that he did with getting angry or getting scared or whatever it was. And just that act alone freezes it for a moment. You step out of the emotion because you're describing the behavior. Another way to do it is just to observe the sensation. So you start that you establish the, the change in breathing and then you step and say, what am I feeling right now? And you just observe those qualities. I'm feeling tension in my shoulders. I'm feeling tension in my abdomen. My breathing has become rapid. My heart rate is pounding. I'm feeling like clenching my jaw and my fists or what have you. And that's another way to do it. And then the very next thing you do is just try to add a little bit of humor. Because once you're, once you're describing the event, you're describing the sensations, you're technically out of the situation. You're no longer having the hijack. So if you want to continue to reroute that reaction and bring your higher cortical function into it and stop reacting from that reptilian part of your mind, you can make a joke about yourself like, wow, that, that was a doozy. Or, gee, uh, where's your spine? Allow me to pick it up for you yeah. <laughs> and give it back. You know, there, there's, there's ways you just tease yourself for a moment and then hopefully have a laugh and then you're just, boom, you snapped out of it. Yeah. And it can happen really quick if you just do that step. You know, you, you recognize that what's going on. Oh, there I am having that reaction. I'm, I've changed my breathing. And then you make an observation about what's going on and then recognize that it's not you, it's a part of you. And you're describing it, maybe make a joke about it. Um, immediately start telling yourself what you'd like to do. So, well, it's time to get back to work and get focused on my activities, or it's time for me to take a breather and go for a walk. Um, maybe it's, you know, you give yourself some, some instruction of some kind, mm. immediately following those steps, and you will have broken the pattern. So mindfulness is so useful even as a practical tool, as a parent dealing with a difficult situation at home, um, dealing with a boss at work or dealing with the crazy freeways out there. Yeah, that is an incredible technique. I am so glad you shared that. You know, I, I have experienced pieces of that, but just somehow hearing it that way, I can see the, the entire technique there. You know, <laughs> that that's one of your mind hacks, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah, that's a great, that, that's a really great strategy. You know, a, another strategy 
that I think helps change the physiology of one's body, which is another mindfulness technique, is to close your eyes and listen to everything around you without trying to identify what it is that you're hearing. Hmm. Just allow the sounds to come in as they are into your ears. Like a baby. Like a baby, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll share a practice that I used to do. When I was um, practicing occupational therapy, uh, I treated the um, uh, mostly the geriatric population. And I used to have to deal with a lot of clients that had... Um, uh, heart conditions and lung conditions and a lot of people that were in really, really poor physical condition. And I used to take this little, little device. It's, it's called a pulse oximeter. So it's a little thing that you put on your finger Mm. and it basically tells you how much oxygen you have in your blood. And the other thing that a pulse oximeter typically does is it shows your heart rate pretty much in real time. So Mm. like you can see my heart's fast, my heart's slow, my heart's just right. Right. And so one of the things that I used to do is I would try to work with my clients on breathing and showing them how they can use their breath and how they can just use their their focus to affect their heart rate. And I used to, I mean, I admit I did it to kind of show off a little bit, Uh but I did it because I needed to demonstrate to them that I'm not kidding this is something you can do. And I'm going to show you right now, I'm going to drop my heart rate down to a very slow heartbeat. Nice. And so I would say, I, I explain what the pulse oximeter is. So just watch this number on my finger. That's my heart rate. And I'd like you to watch that go down. I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm just going to do my thing for a minute. And I'd like you to tell me the lowest number that you see it go down to. And I would close my eyes and all I would do is just listen to, I would just relax and listen to everything around me. Mm. That's all I needed to do. And I would naturally notice my breath slowing down and my breath would almost come in and out of my nostrils. Like it's as smooth as silk. Like, like if the air could be cream, like that easy, it's just slipping in and slipping out. And I just listen to everything around me. And I would do this for maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds, you know, not even usually, not even usually a minute. And then I would start to hear them. And I use, maybe, maybe the client would be with their wife or something. Oh, well, you look at that. It's going down. And they'd start to whisper, Oh wow, well, that is amazing. You know? And I knew it was happening. Right. <laughs> and then I'd open my eyes and I'd ask them, okay, so how, how slow did my heart go? It got down to 39. And they would say that, you know, and that was a very powerful experience for those clients because this is a simple thing that everybody can do. And I would teach them how to do it. Well, how do you do that? I said, just close your eyes and listen to everything around you and don't worry about what it is. Just hear it. That's it. And they would gain uh, slower respiratory rates. Their hearts would slow down a little bit. You know, their blood pressure is going down. Oh yeah. You know, and I think, the technique that you just shared a little while ago and this technique that I was just sharing um, very much has a breathing component to it, mm-hmm. you know, and something that I just want to point out to listeners, it's very common to hear people talk about breathing techniques, take a deep breath, mm. inhale, exhale, right? But we seldom realize that breathing is one of those rare body functions that is both automatic and voluntary. Yes. It is, it is one of those rare functions that are conscious and unconscious. Yeah. 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 You don't have to think about it and you're going to breathe or you could think about it and completely control your breathing. Right. And that is the reason breathing is so powerful as a technique, just like your emotions and a person's stresses can influence their respiratory rate. Their respiratory rate can therefore influence their stresses and their emotions. Yeah. And so when a person feels like, um, Oh gosh, I'm feeling a little anxious here. And the breathing becomes shallow and the breathing becomes rapid by creating slow and deep breaths. You are therefore affecting your physiology consciously. I remember hour after hour after hour observing my breath and meditation. You start to notice these things. Mm-hmm. And I would notice if I just took a little, a little deep breath, I'd get feel my heart rate, heart rate speed up a little bit. 
you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but unless you're sitting down for hours paying attention, it's difficult to notice those things. That's true. And the ancients have said pretty much in every culture, breath is life. Yeah. You know, the word, uh, prana, you know, in Sanskrit, Mm. you know, life force, uh, chi in Chinese. Yeah. The breath. Yeah. And chi literally means air. It does. We did a whole episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. The breath is the key to so much. It's a, it's a primal, uh, and simple component of who we are. I think another thing worthy of mention is that it seems like all these complex breathing methods require a lot of instruction and not every breathing method is good for every person. It changes your chemistry. Some things are safer than others. But one thing you can say about mindfulness is that it doesn't seem like there's any inherent dangers by just simply observing the qualities of the breath and relaxing the breath. So you don't have to worry as a beginner that you need to do it right or have some specialized instruction around it. You can just start by, you know, stilling your body and observing the flow of the breath and that, you know, how many qualities can you notice? That's the question. Yeah. How many details, how many uh, sensations can you observe in your breath? And don't worry about complicated pranayama practices and complicated breathing practices. You can just be still and observe the breath. Notice how it feels. Notice what changes happen. Don't think so much about it. Just notice it. Yeah. Don't have to analyze it. Just notice it. Absolutely. Beautiful. In the pursuit of knowledge, every day something is added. In the practice of the Tao, every day something is dropped. Less and less do you need to force things until finally you arrive at non-action. When nothing is done, nothing is left undone. True mastery can be gained by letting things go their own way. It can't be gained by interfering. Hmm... Wow. It seems relevant to what we just discussed about learning complicated breathing practices versus just observing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to go and get initiated by a guru and some special meditation technique to notice how beautiful the reflection is off the pond. Absolutely. Absolute mystical absorption can happen by watching such beauty and being open to it. And that's the initiation. It's nature initiating you. Yeah. You don't need a guru necessarily. Yeah. Not knocking those people who have spiritual teachers. That's wonderful if you do. Oh, absolutely. But it's not a requirement. Right, right. Everyone can practice mindfulness. Yeah. All of us can practice this. It's universal. It is. You know, my brother-in-law, who uh, over the years has become a real brother, and uh, uh, we've become friends, Uh, He was not originally from this country. He came here and saw things and had a fresh perspective and could see things that I never saw. And he always talked about the rubies and the diamonds. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what's that about? The rubies and the diamonds. He said, when you're driving on on the freeway system in California, and by the way, folks, there's a whole lot of traffic on the freeways in California. (laughs) He said... All the brake lights in front of you are the rubies. And all the headlights on the other side of the freeway are the diamonds. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. That that is so awesome. So here we are, stuck in traffic, you know, stressed, living our our little worlds of, oh, I got to get here and I got to get there. And my mind is not here. My mind is not now. Yet right in front of me, if I just take a moment and pay attention, it is glorious how gorgeous the rubies and the diamonds are. I'm going to remember that the next time I drive. In fact, in a little while when you drive home, you'll see it. I am going to see it on the way <laughs> it's home. such a beautiful mindfulness practice. You know? <laughs> and, and then like I, I'm seeing these lights all the time. But then when I remember about the rubies and the diamonds, they seem a little brighter, a little more rich, a little more magical every time I think about them.
You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.